Well, welcome to the Hills. Preacher Rick here, wishing all of you the great holiday season. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. For Christians, Thanksgiving is not just today. It's the way we live our lives. And I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful to lead such a generous church. Let me give you a very specific example. And so uh, in November, we had our annual harvest offering. Through this offering, we pledged for one year to support over 17 church plants and missionaries all over the world, some we can't even put on our website because of the dangerous places they live. Our goal was pretty huge, $2.9 million. Can I show you where we are to date? We're at $2.8 million. We are almost there. And I have no doubt we will go over our goal because we do every year. And I've already talked to many people who said, I haven't given yet, but I'm going to. And I hope you will. Because we have the joy every year with the overage of asking, where can we bless a church planter or a missionary? And I want to give you an example of how we did that. So two and a half years ago, a church that we support on Long Island launched called Community Church. It's latterly in a town called Babylon. That's right, a church in Babylon. Now, in America, there's a one church for every 800 people. In Long Island, one for every 4,000. It's one of the most unchurched places in America. Well, they were gifted this building, but they couldn't really use it because the parking lot was completely torn up. They didn't have the money. Because of the overage, we were giving them $75,000, and you can see how that parking lot looks like today. And this two-and-a-half-year-old church in one of the most unchurched parts of America is averaging 630 people each Sunday. This year alone, they've had over 50 baptisms. This is what happens when God's people are generous. And this is why I say, I am so thankful for you. Now, I thought it would be fun to enter this holiday season with some corny Christmas jokes. So here we go. They're all about Santa. Here's number one. What do you call a kid who doesn't believe in Santa? Answer, rebel without a clause. Uh, what would you call the kid if he was the offspring of Mr. and Mrs. Santa? Well, you would call him a subordinate clause. And my personal favorite, what do you call the kid who was afraid of Santa? Well, you say he's claustrophobic. <laughs> now, you're rolling your eyes and moaning, but here's what I know. Tomorrow, you're going to tell one of those jokes at work. <laughs> so you're a bunch of hypocrites, and I'm calling you out. <laughs> do you know in the world of psychology, they actually have a label for the fear of Santa. And I get it. Think about it. This is a dude that is a stalker <laughs> watching you when you sleep and when you're awake, breaks into your house, eats your food. He says he has a home, but no one's been there or ever seen it. That is kind of scary, but maybe it's appropriate because Christmas has always been kind of scary. The very first Christmas existed in the midst of fear, not the absence of fear. Think about it. The very first Christmas, it would not make a good Hallmark movie. It's not a feel-good story. It's about a young couple who live in poverty and surrounded with scandal, who live in an occupied nation of an oppressive regime whose governor is a maniac king who thinks the way you fix a problem is to kill people, who has put a hit out on your new son. 
And the only thing you can do is flee for your lives and seek asylum in a country with no family and no friends. Movie's over. That was the first Christmas. So maybe that explains then when you read the birth narratives in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, why four times you see the phrase, do not be afraid. So this December, I thought we might ask the question, what is it about Christmas that should make us more fearless? Now, I'm going to date myself, but when I was much younger, there was a popular advice column in something called a newspaper, <laughs> and written by a woman named Ann Landers. And at the height of her popularity, she would get over 10,000 letters a week requesting advice. And she was asked, what request do you get most? She said, that's easy. The most common request is help for dealing with fear. And why is fear so common? Well, it's because the world is so broken. Fear was not the God's intention. He put man and woman in a place and in an existence where fear wasn't part of the plan. But when they turned from God, when they listened to the idea that we could be our own gods, they hid, and the man in his own words said, because I was afraid. And fear polluted God's good creation. And God announced to the man and woman, I am going to redeem my creation. And through the seed of a woman, I am going to bring a deliverer. Because it's not God's will that his people live in bondage to the tyranny of timidity. And so God announced the coming of a deliverer. And God's plan is that the appearance of Jesus would mean the disappearance of fear. That Christmas should make us courageous. Because if the Christmas story is true, what do we have to be afraid of? Amen. Think about it. If God really is with us, if God has become flesh and dwelt among us, if he has taken sin from us, if he has conquered the grave for us, if he is returning to us to set up his kingdom on the earth, if this story is true, what do we have to be afraid of? And that's the question all the main characters are going to get asked at the first Christmas. Beginning with a couple that we're going to call Zach and Liz. And that's not their names in the Bible. That was their nicknames. And here's a little background on them. They were descendants of Aaron. They were Levites, which meant that Zach was a priest. And we learn a little about them in Luke 1, starting in verse 6. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So in an economy of words, we learn some important things about Zach and Liz. First thing we learn is they're very good people. They are ordering their lives around a God who has not spoken to their nation in over 400 years. Think about that. 
They are living by his commandments. They are serving him in the silence. They're very good people. It says they're very old people. Again, I'm going to date myself. But a wild night for Zach and Liz was Metamucil and watching reruns of Matlock. (laughs) If you're over 50, that was funny. Here's the point. When you make a story, when you make a movie about a great thing getting done, you don't typically cast old people to me, the stars. Zach and Liz believe they have passed the point where they're going to make any real difference in God's story. They're good people. They're old people. And they're sad people. Because the one thing they've wanted more than anything, they've never received. And understand, they lived in a culture where many felt that barrenness was evidence that you have been rejected by the very God you have spent your life trying to serve. You see, sad things happen to good people. But so do God's surprises. So, because there were so many priests, David divided them up in divisions. And twice a year, your division would serve in the temple. And every day, a priest would be selected to go into the holy place and light incense. And and you only got to do this once in your life. And Zach's never been chosen. Until now. It says in verse 11, while Zach was in the sanctuary... An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And so after centuries of silence, God is about to make the most important move in redemptive history to date. And he has chosen Zach to be the first to learn of it. And he wants Zach to receive this news with courage. But Zach was afraid that the news was too good to be true. And so Zach responded to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. I was, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. You see, Zach was afraid to believe. He'd prayed so many prayers. He'd gotten so many no's. He was so old. He says, I need a sign. And the angel says, dude, I'm an angel. I am a sign. (laughs) And because you won't believe, you don't get to talk until the baby is born. So Zach goes home and he starts playing charades with Liz, which was actually a blessing to her because she was struggling to believe too. And she needed confirmation. Don't you know? All those years of having her deepest desire denied had depleted her hope 
take. So in a way, Zach's muteness was a confirmation and blessing to her. In fact, I'm going to argue Liz had as happy a Christmas as any woman who's ever lived. She is going to have a baby, and she's got a husband who can't give her his opinion on anything. I mean, Liz is living the dream. And so the Christmas story starts with a call to believe not just in one miraculous birth, but in two. And it starts with an old couple who believed in God a lot, but were afraid to believe in God too much. And this Christmas, a lot of us can relate to Zach and Liz. You're listening to me right now because at some level, you believe in God some. But life has been tough. And you're afraid to believe in God too much. So how can Zach and Liz help us today? Well, the first thing they can teach us is that courageous faith believes what God did, he can still do. So back in 1899, there was a man named Charles Duell. He was the head of the United States Department of Patent, and he tried to get President McKinley to shut down the office. His logic, everything that could be invented has been invented. The very next year, the first human voice went over a radio wave. And the next year, Mercedes built their first car. And right after that, Wilbur and Orville flew the first powered airplane. And right after that, the photoelectric cell was developed all within a few years of him saying, everything that could be invented has been invented. And that's sometimes how we treat God. Everything he's going to do, he's done. Some of us were actually raised in churches and taught, you believe in all the miracles in the Bible, but don't expect any. See, it doesn't take much courage to affirm that God has done great things in the past, but it takes a lot of courage to affirm he's just as active in the presence. Now, here's the irony. Zach and Liv have based their life of obedience on the truthfulness of a story that God got an old couple pregnant. Their whole life is based around their belief that Abraham and Sarah got a visit from angelic beings and were promised they could have a baby when everyone said it's too late. But the tyranny of timidity can keep us from believing that God will do for us now what he did for others then. But the good news is God's name is not I was. His name is I am. And fear leaves the room when I am enters the picture. And your current situation could be really hard right now and pretty sad. But your circumstances do not trump the sovereignty and the authority of God. And this is why the scriptures consistently instruct us to pray with boldness. You've been there. I've been there where we want to ask God for something, but we're afraid it's too much. So we wind up praying in a way that really didn't ask for anything. And our timid prayers unconsciously are expressing our fear that our problem is bigger than the God we're praying to. 
But bold prayers express confidence that God's promises in the past are valid in the present. I like how the psalmist put it. But when I am afraid, I love his honesty. Sometimes we get afraid. Admit it. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I will praise God for what he has promised. I will trust in God. So why should I be afraid? I'll look at God's track record. I'll remember the things God has promised. Our God is a way maker and a miracle worker and a promise keeper. He is I am. And because we can trust his character that has not changed, we can trust his timing that just might. See, that's the second thing Zach and Liz can teach us about courageous faith. It believes God knows when to say yes. There's actually a definition of faith in the Bible. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, faith is believing that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And he does. But here's the thing. He's not Mac God. And he doesn't promise to bring your order right away. And one reason Zach and Liz were afraid to believe is that there was so much lag time between their request and God's answer. Have you been there? If you want a more fearless faith, you are going to have to wrestle with the silence of God. And if we're honest, we have all given up on prayers before God did. Some of you know this story is very personal to my wife and I because we walked the infertility journey. We had the disappointment month after month, year after year. We saw the doctors. We tried the medicines. We lived in Abilene at the time. We drove all the way to Dallas to see who was supposed to be the expert in all the state. And he said to my wife, your chance of getting pregnant is one in a million. And the day he said that, it's the day I stopped praying. I stopped asking God because it was too big. So we went through the process of adopting and two precious children came into our lives. And then seven years later, my wife walks into my office and announces that she is pregnant. And I learned something. That when it's not God's time, it cannot be forced and when it is God's time, it cannot be stopped. And so what we must have the courage to believe is that while we know what we want, God knows what we need. And God knows best. So, for example, if you were to ask me, Rick, would you like to miss that season? All those years and tears. Would you like it if you could go back and just get pregnant as soon as you wanted? My first question would be, does that mean I couldn't be Michael and Morgan's father? Well, yes, that's what it would mean. With a no, I wouldn't want it. I would want it to be just like it is. I knew what I wanted. God knew what I needed. God knows best. I like the story of the dad who walks by the bedroom and his little girl's saying the alphabet. He says, later, why were you saying the alphabet? I wasn't, I was praying. It sounded like you were saying the alphabet. Well, I was, because I didn't know what to ask for, so I gave God all the letters so he could do what he wanted. <laughs> That's pretty good theology. Listen to Romans 8. 
And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. And are called according to His purpose for them. So we pray our prayers. And we pray bold and we pray big. And we confess we don't always know if this is exactly what God wants But the Holy Spirit takes those prayers and says, God, if they knew everything we knew, they would ask this way. And we know that at the right time and in the right way, God is going to answer that prayer for our good and for his glory. And so, when you're in that season of the lag time and you're afraid to believe too much, remember this, that just because you don't see anything And just because you don't hear anything doesn't mean nothing is happening. Haven't we all had answers to prayers where the answer was in process before we even prayed? I remember years ago reading about a woman named Helen Rosevere. She was one of the first medical missionaries to Congo. Set up a very primitive clinic and one day a woman came in uh, in labor prematurely. The woman died, the baby was going to die. They had no incubator. Their only hot water bottle was too uh, used to be of help. And, and Dr. Rosevere told the children, uh, unless we get a hot water bottle, this baby will die. And so she asked them to pray. And this little girl prayed that God would send a hot water bottle today and a doll for the little baby's sister who was lonely without her mama. And that afternoon, a box came from England. You know where I'm going. There was a hot water bottle in that box. And at the bottom there was a doll. Here's the thing. A bunch of ladies in a prayer group in England had put that box together and put it in the mail five months earlier. You don't see anything. You don't hear anything. That doesn't mean nothing's happening. The psalmist says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my plea. Answer me because you are faithful and righteous. I don't have to be afraid because it doesn't depend on how much faith I have. God is faithful even when I'm struggling to be full of faith. Just like Zach and Liz. Maybe that's the last and most important thing they teach us. The courageous faith believes the struggle to keep believing is worth it. Zach and Liz served a God who had not spoken to their people for centuries. Maybe more impressive. Zach and Liv served a God who had not answered their prayer for decades. So it's understandable why they would fear that the angels' words were just too good to be true. But for all their questions and all their doubts and all their shattered hopes, Zach and Liz kept following God. They kept obeying his commands. They kept showing up at the temple. You're aware that the great composer Beethoven was deaf the last 15 years of his life, but he kept writing music. 
music that he could not hear. He persisted in the silence. And that's what Zach and Liz did. They did not allow what they did not understand about God to erase everything they did understand about God. And to them, the struggle to believe that he was a promise keeper was worth it. And some of you need to let them bless you today because you're living right where they were. You're living in the lag time. You're living in the silence. It's Christmas time. And you just found out the cancer has come back. It's Christmas time. And your prodigal child has not come back. I know this has been a hard, hard sermon for some people right now listening to me who are in the same journey Zach and Liz were on for years. And you have prayed and prayed and there is no baby in your immediate future. And I know for some of you, what happened to you in the past was so traumatic that years later, you're still wrestling with the pain. I'm talking to people today that could use a miracle. And you wouldn't be listening to me if you didn't believe in God some. But life has been hard. And you are afraid to believe in God too much. Let Christmas remind you that we have good reason to be courageous. Keep praying. Keep doing the right thing. Keep showing up at the temple. Listen to the Hebrew writer. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. God will show up. So you keep showing up. Because one day, your test is going to become your testimony. You see, not too far away, there was another lady who got a visit from an angel. She wasn't old. She was young. She wasn't married. She was a virgin. And the angel told her, believe that the God who keeps his promises has chosen you for a most amazing birth. Don't be afraid. And the angel knew something else. That Mary didn't just need a visit. Mary needed a testimony. So the angel said, oh, by the way, have you heard about your cousin Elizabeth? She's pregnant. You should go check it out. And Mary did. And Elizabeth's pregnancy was the sign that Mary needed 
to battle all the fears that she was dealing with about what this baby was going to mean for her life. And when she showed up, you know what it says? It says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. And that is news Mary needed. Because when we are no longer fearful, someone's about to get an earful. You see, Christmas is not just for the courageous. Christmas is for the contagious. And maybe this Christmas, God wants you to give somebody else the gift of fearless faith. So keep showing up. And keep looking for that person that you could encourage. Because if this story is true, what do we have to be afraid of? So I want to pray over you, but here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you right now to ask the Holy Spirit to put on your mind, your consciousness, a fear that you sometimes struggle with believing is too big for God. You believe in God a lot. But for this, you've been afraid to believe too much. So let the Holy Spirit put that on your heart right now. Let me pray for you. So, Father, we believe the story. We believe it's true. We believe Jesus is the Son of God, that God is with us. But where we are is hard. There's been a lot of silence, a lot of lag time. God, we, we believe in you a lot. But sometimes we're afraid to believe in you too much. So deliver us from our fear. Remind us again that you are a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. That your name is still I am. Give us, God, this Christmas, the gift of more fearless faith. And give us this Christmas the chance to give the gift to someone else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.